0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Going for Two. Uh, I am your intrepid host, Matt Brown. I'm the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter here. I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Fisher of Athlon. Brian, let me ask you something. As we head into this bizarre march on the the college sports calendar, do you typically watch a ton of FCS football?
1: In the fall, Probably. Maybe I'll see one game. And, and a lot of that has to do with just the schedules and, and the amount of FBS football we have to kind of keep it keep an eye on for our day jobs. But yeah. this spring, I, I think it is so different because I have found myself tuning in, whether it's you know Thursday nights or certainly on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday uh, it, for a lot of the games, especially on ESPN plus it has been fun to tune in not only is it is it football but you kind of get a sense of you know look oh hey there is there's James Madison there's North Dakota State there's there's North Dakota oh it's it's South South Dakota's on all right sure and and a lot of the games have been exciting and so it's it's been an interesting diversion this spring i probably watched less college basketball than i have in in a a number of years, but I have kind of tuned in for the FCS football, and and it's been fun, uh, a fun distraction, I guess, from from kind of the day to day grind that we see normal on normal weekends.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I'm I'm in a similar boat. This is by far the the least college basketball I've watched since sports writing became my career. You know, part of that is you know my last job I actually did have to watch it watch it for my job, and uh, that's not as much part of of running extra points right now. But I, I've also watched more FCS football, and that's coming off of a year when I probably watched less FBS football than I normally do. I, I still watched every Saturday, but when I'm down in my office and I'm, I'm, I'm catching up on uh, some other reading or, or doing some coding work, or you're just catching up on a couple other things. Yeah. Sometimes I have some of those games on in the background. And even though this is a pretty young season, it hasn't gone strictly to, to like following chalk, like the FBS season did. the The North Dakota State, which I think even the most casual fan realizes is the behemoth at this level., uh, they've already lost the game and they didn't just lose. They got their ass kicked by Southern Illinois. Um, a lot of other powerful programs have either already lost once or almost lost, uh, it, it, It's it, we, we've seen an early season blood week like we haven't seen so much at the FPS level. And I wanted to bring in somebody here to help us make a little bit more sense of not just what we're actually seeing right now, but why we're seeing it because why we're even having a spring FCS football at all is is a little bit of a complicated question because the incentive structure isn't the same as it was for Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. And I know I don't know enough about FCS football to be that guy myself. And even though you know a lot about football, I'm guessing you aren't either. So we had to bring in another person.
1: Absolutely. And let's let's face it. Uh, our, our guest today knows more about FCS football than I, I would say anybody in the world. Uh, Craig Haley, uh, who, who runs uh, Stats Reform, he's a senior editor there, writes uh, alongside me with at Avalon Sports and has just a tremendous uh, history bank uh, of knowledge about the FCS level and, and what's going on this spring as well. So excited to bring him in.
0: Yeah, let's go cut to him here right now and see if we can understand a little bit more about what we're at, what's going on right now. Well, um Craig, thanks so much here for taking some time to, to chat with us. Um I, I have been a, a casual follower here of FCS football. And before the season started, my assumption was, well, you know, the FBS season was pretty chalky. The established p- programs tended to to do pretty well. I would have assumed that way we would have followed a similar trajectory with the FCS. But my understanding is these first couple of weeks here, that that hasn't happened at all. I saw North Dakota state didn't just lose, but really kind of got their ass kicked. Uh, what what is, is this? did this surprise you? Is do we should we expect the rest of this season to be much more unexpected than than typically? Well, you're right. I mean, uh, the way
2: North Dakota State lost that is surprising because that just never happens that way. But I do think we were in for a wild ride in the spring season. I mean, with kind of starts and stops for programs with, with COVID, whether you're practicing or, or in the middle of your schedule. You know, there, there's no margin for error when it's a shortened schedule and, and you know, uh, there are fewer at-large bids in the playoffs. So I do think, yes, it was going to – it was set up for for an unusual season. I just think the difference is generally we see teams maybe, you know, 15 to 30 in, in, in everybody's rankings. They, they all tend to knock each other off we're saying this year the top 10 teams are all in close calls if not being upset so it's it's really become everybody almost like in a
0: free-for-all trying to survive sure Uh, well that would make things more challenging if you were stupid enough to gamble on, on any of this but, but as a as a consumer I'm sure that would make things even more interesting even with a consolidated schedule where it's mostly just conference play you if you get into these leagues like the the colonial or the Missouri Valley where now there's so much parity, not just at the top but maybe in that top six that's you're gonna you're gonna have a reason to tune in every Saturday
2: and you, you just touched on it there Matt I mean I think it's we're in conference play mostly from the start for everybody there are some schools that are playing non you know played a couple non-conference game games but if you're in conference play nobody's scared of anybody you're so used to playing that the the powers if if you're not a power and and you play them at home you're gearing up for that week so it's really being in conference play that's kind of tightened everything a bit at least in
1: my eyes. Craig, if we can kind of go back a a little bit here, why are they even playing in the spring? Is there a big picture? There's not like there's millions of dollars at stake, like the FBS level. Why are these FCS schools still going about playing their seasons like this?
2: Sure. Great question, Brian. And and it, you know, when it came to playing in the fall and as they got closer to deciding whether they were going to play, you know, throughout the last summer when when conferences and schools were making their decisions, you know, a lot of it was also going to be funding, whether you could keep up with testing and, and everything that's going to go into it. Um, you know, a lot of schools made decisions on that reasons. So a lot of them just, you know, the health and safety and, and, and gambled on the fact that they thought you know the situation would be better come the spring semester so there were different reasons you know once you know the ivy league was the first conference to to, to pull out on the fall eventually you know one by one it just added up over like a five-week uh span and, and all the conferences did, did decide not to play their their fall schedules and left it up to schools whether they wanted to play some a limited amount of uh non-conference games
1: well, you, you mentioned those non-conference games, obviously a lifeline financially for, for a lot of those schools, but it, it's led to a season that's dating back to August for some of these teams. How, how are, When you talk to coaches and, and you talk to some of these players, how, are, how have they been handling just the disjointed nature of everything that's kind of transpired?
2: You're right. I mean, it's been disjointed. Uh, of course, it's been disjointed throughout the the entire pandemic, no matter what sport you're in. I, I think the big issue that you're, you, you, you're talking about is... <laughs> you know, the amount of games you're, you're going to play over, a, you know, a, a, a calendar year, uh, you know, especially this year, if you're playing spring and fall and in the schools that did play some in that last fall uh, to, to add on this spring and then next fall, you're talking schools that are going to play 25 games over, uh, you know, in less than a year. Th- that's the big issue with health and safety that, that schools are watching out for. And yet you have to adjust the way you practice. You have to adjust the off season that'll be coming ahead. So yeah, it's very disjointed and at the same time, very taxing on, on you know, the the, the schools and the players.
0: One thing that I've been a feedback that I've heard from other SES football coaches and even some administrators on that point about things being taxing was that they were not expecting some of their peers to make a decision not to play so close to the beginning of the season. At the FBS yeah. level, yeah, we, we know that there were teams, you know, that were in or out a couple weeks ahead of time, but you had – Patriot league schools and big sky schools kind of putting out statements even after the schedules had come out. It was, did you heard as to why somebody would would kind of pull the plug 14 days before the start of the season? Yes. It's unfortunate. And you know, the MEAC was even worse.
2: They went through about three schedule changes uh, before they ultimately only had three of their nine schools wanting to play in the spring Yes, I mean, you know, a, a James Madison they were quite annoyed when when, you know, schools pulled out in, in the CAA for for last fall and, and yes. making those decisions earlier than than James Madison felt that anybody should or, or you're going to see that in the Big Sky. I mean, Montana and Montana State and, and a couple of other schools, you know, waiting till January to to to, to pull out. You know, it, it's up to individual schools. I mean, obviously it, it's it, it's easy to be annoyed if you're a rival school and and, and and you're moving on to play, and, and somebody else in your conference doesn't. But you, you have to, you know, realize it's up to that school making the, the best decision possible for their student athletes.
1: When, when you go back to kind of this decision to play in the spring, uh, a lot of their talk of around the FCS spring schedule was look at the exposure it will bring to a lot of these schools. H- have you seen that kind of translate a, a little bit or is this almost kind of flying under the radar?
2: <laughs> well, I think, Brian, the, the, the big problem is there's not a lot of national TV coverage. I mean, everything's available you know, on digital networks, the conferences have their own digital networks or, you know, they're on ESPN three, some other uh, networks, a a lot of not a lot, but some schools have also found their local, you know, NBC or CW network or, you know, station, you know, pickup games. But without that big national TV package, that does kind of hurt to, to get to the level that that you could be having in the spring where you know there you know there's great attention on on, on all the games but there's just so much going on sports wise where the seasons are overlapping that you know no national network really picked up for for you know linear linear uh, network kind of coverage
0: yeah the the the, how how crazy everything is with the sports schedule right now? I feel like it's maybe being a little bit undersold. I'm I'm told there's a, a college basketball event in some port that's happening yeah. now. You're going to have a bunch of other winter championships. The NBA is happening. Everything else is going on. It can make it a little bit harder to bring some of these, you know, even high quality football games up to the forefront. I, I know that many of our listeners are you know, are curious about FCS football, they're, they're, they're kind of casually following everything. And if on the field, if you're thinking these first couple of weeks, I I would imagine your major storylines would be North Dakota State looks more mortal than they've looked in the past couple of years. North Dakota is looking excellent. Maybe their best start in a while. And then Jackson State, a program that suddenly had a lot more eyeballs on it than it used to uh, is, 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 is playing well. Is there anything else Big picture perspective that you think somebody should be aware of if they're always sort of familiar or only sort of following the the sport at large right now. Well, I think the
2: fact that you know the two powers, you know North Dakota State, which has won eight of the last nine national titles, James Madison's been in three of the last four uh, uh, championship games, and and they you know knocked off North Dakota State the one year the bison didn't win i mean those schools being a little more vulnerable this spring in their games and North Dakota state getting blown out by Southern Illinois, to me, that, that is the major storyline because it's kind of opened up at least the feeling at other schools, you know, generally it's only a handful of schools that have a legitimate chance in, you know, to, to win the national title, the, the way, you know, dynasties have, have gone in, in, in the FCS. So I, I think that's the big overwhelming one. I mean, obviously Deion Sanders arriving at Jackson state just puts eyeballs on uh you know, the SWAC, Jackson State, HBCU uh, schools, He's great for the game. Um, You know, people are just going to pay attention because of his sort of flamboyant style. Those are the big storylines. But I I just think, you know, that schools are are, I mean, there's great conference races because I mentioned, you know, you you suffer two losses in conference. You're probably probably not going to make the playoffs this year because there's there's uh, the field's only 75 percent of a normal year. So I, I just think the great races are another thing for people to pay attention to. But obviously having, a, you know, that, at least that feel that the powers aren't quite as what they've been, JMU and, and the issue, that kind of opens it up to, to attention.
0: You know, on, on that note – I ahead of this season, I have to admit, and maybe Brian, maybe you felt differently. I was a pretty big skeptic of the Deion Sanders era at Jackson State. (laughs) I looked at that. Hey, this is a program that maybe didn't necessarily have to reach for a coach like a different HBCU might have. It's you had a strong fan base. It's been successful before. And Deion Sanders, as a head coach, we saw at the high school level left a lot to be desired that, you know, the the prime academy in Texas was, uh, you know, went down in scandal. And but what I've seen here on the field, and granted, limited sample size. And one of those games was, I guess, the Division two team. Uh, Jackson State's looked really good. They're, they're back in the FCS top 25. Uh, what, what do you think here about the Sanders era? Not just in terms of the bravado, which anybody that's even read Deion Sanders Wikipedia page knows that he's going to bring. <laughs> what about what we're seeing actually on the field?
2: Well, obviously, you're going to capture your players tension and respect right away when when you're Deion sanders and that's gonna make everybody you know a little more you know ready to put put the pieces together uh you know jackson state's also benefited from you know a, a fairly soft early schedule i mean you mentioned the the division two school they beat edward uh, waters you know M- mississippi valley state you know they, they beat them and then that, down. that's been a struggling program they beat grambling state which is great they won at grambling state but th- the last few years haven't been some of the great you know standards that we're used to with, with grambling state i mean they were six and five each of the last two years uh oh and two this year so uh, <laughs> you know I think they've benefited from that but at the same time they're playing well their quarterback Jalen Jones is off to a great start. i mean' they're, they have strong linebacker play I mean he had a dozen or so FBS you know transfers you know you know people want to be around him so he's definitely has a much better roster than they've they've done and they've had in recent
1: years when they've struggled. You mentioned the, the roster, and, and he, even before the season, kind of said, I, I've got the best recruiting class in, in FCS history. What is kind of the future of HBCU football, even outside of Dion? Because it, it's been a, uh, an area that I think a lot of people have focused on, not just uh, kind of going back another year, uh, given you know the, the place that HBCUs have in this country, but um, you saw uh, a while back the basketball version of HBCUs, landing a five-star recruit. What is kind of f- the future of FCS football at at HBCUs?
2: Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, when you mention you know even stronger recruits coming on the basketball side, add that in with football, the two biggest sports. Then, yeah, it really bodes well for HBCUs in the future. At the same time, Brian, I I you know, on the FCS level, there's a little bit of a concern because as the SWAC is getting stronger and they're going to be up to 12 schools in the fall, the MEAC, the other HBCU FCS conference. Is suddenly going to be down to six schools uh, in, in the uh, in the fall when they were up to eleven schools three or four years ago. So they're losing key schools, including what's been the the recent power NCA and T going to, yeah, to the Big just... South. So. The, <laughs> There's good news and there's bad news. I think that MEAC is going to have to get back to a stronger level, and, and it may mean bringing in some maybe some divisions two schools with good programs. But yes, the SWAC is about to take over when this when the MEAC had been doing so well in recent years. Uh, so there's, it's going to be a little uneven coming this fall.
0: We, we've we've written about this a fair amount on, on extra points. I, I'm I'm honestly skeptical of the long term survival of the MIAC generally because I mean not only are you looking at a, a smaller roster of schools, period, but like, to your earlier point you're losing their best programs. And some of the ones that are still in there right now um, are some of the least resourced FCS football programs that are HBCUs or that are facing some headwinds that are bigger than just football. I know they're trying to recruit PWIs or some non-HBCU institutions to in that league, but I think that's going to be a, a that's going to be difficult for them. We, we, we could see a world in my view in five years, where there might just be one HBCU FCS league.
2: It's possible, Matt. I mean, you know, it's going to be a tough sell for them to get back to a, an elite level. At the same time, you could kind of look at the Big South. They were in a similar boat a few years back where they lost, you know, Liberty, Coastal Carolina. Yep. Before that, Stony Brook was, was you know, becoming a power in in that league. They were really starting to look like, OK, they may be done as a league for football and they've come back strong at the same time, gaining some schools from from the MEAC, Hampton, and and uh, and NCAA, NCAA this fall. So yes it, at least there's precedent that is that a conference that was really taking hits was able to bounce back
0: it's a good point
1: are, are there any other areas we have mentioned those those fcs schools but like are there any other areas in, in fcs that you see maybe as being ripe for some realignment we we've already talked a little bit on this program about uh certainly the southland and some of the realignment that's gone on down in texas but are, is there any other areas that you think we could maybe be on the lookout for uh that that might be look, even moving up a level i, I know North Dakota state's been in that news in terms of possibly looking towards the jump.
2: Well, I I think it had settled down, you know, conference realignment for, for a couple years. And suddenly now the conference realignment is really hitting the FCS level more so than the FBS level. You know what the SWAC and ASUN have done is tremendous because they've made themselves strong conferences from the jump where that's hard to do. Um, You know, I think I wouldn't have guessed it was going to happen on that kind of large scale to begin with. So it's very possible it can happen, but I think going forward on the FCS level, you're probably just going to see more individual movement, you know, school-wise, unless we get to that point where the FBS, those power five conferences do break off. Then you're going to finally see that long rumored, you know, combo between the, uh, the group of five conferences and and some of the elite FCS conferences. So I'm very shocked that what a large scale movement, you know, the ASUN and and WAC have been able to do. But
0: hey, you know, schools are always looking out for their best interests, of course. You know, there's, there's obviously a ton of intrigue off the field, you know, some of that, you know, for whether that's realignment, whether that's coaches, some of that, unfortunately, because of all, you know, we saw 20% of FBS games get canceled or postponed due to COVID. And we're, we're seeing a somewhat similar trajectory happen at this level, even with schools like like James Madison, if we're just trying to look on the field based on what you've seen this year, if I was to ask you North Dakota State or the field for the, the champion, are, who are, you, are you going with the field or are you going to stick with the champs <laughs> at this moment? Yeah, at at this moment, how impressive was the Youngstown State win? I guess is what I'm asking you.
2: (laughs) Well, I tell you what, I look at it this way. If you're going into the season, most people would say, I'm taking North Dakota State over the field. Now that we've seen a, a little bit different picture i think people are going you know the, the the talk out there between fans between media it's almost like let's yes. tie a lawn where i think they're going too far the other way and, and almost writing off the bison now the bison have some tough tough games coming up and they've certainly shown vulnerability vulnerability especially at quarterback i, I just I, you know a decade's worth of they had one, you know, since 2011, their first championship season, they've had one season where they've lost a second regular season game. You have to give them a benefit of, of the doubt that's beyond anything else you're going to give any, anywhere else. And you combine them with JMU, who've also struggled a bit, you're still only talking one combined loss, and everybody's already, you know, got them written off too. So I, I'm not saying, uh, you know, the field is, isn't is going to win, and, and North, North Dakota is just – been a revelation how good they are but i just think the bison deserve every bit of benefit of doubt you can give them because they have a way to figure it out and, and and as an example when they go when they go to frisco every year and they have three weeks to lead up to them they figure it out they are so primed to win three weeks later they get it figured out
0: i think they, they can get it figured out in the spring season. That's that's fair enough. I mean, like, we, we see the same thing, I think, in the, the bigger levels here, too. If Alabama fails to cover the spread in two weeks, you could probably find somebody who's ready to shovel some dirt on them. And <laughs> and I, I understand this is not a world I'm as innately familiar with, so I wasn't sure, like, I'm like, are they really, like, capital B bad? Or are we, yeah, we're reading too much into this a little bit. That, that makes sense. I mean, if you're a Weber fan, you want to talk yourself into them this season, I'm not going to rain on your parade, but... I, I i get it I, I i don't think the bison has suddenly turned into eastern illinois overnight
2: <laughs> it's true no. and and schools like you know uh weaver state are terrific and, and you know south dakota state but you know on game day when north dakota state is lining up against you you might have all that you know bravado going in but then you're looking at them and saying okay now we've got to beat them and that doesn't happen too often
1: yeah, we're, we're talking right here a little bit ahead of the actual NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, we're, a lot of conversation right now over Virginia, Kansas, some of these teams with COVID issues. We saw JMU uh, for the second straight week postpone a game. So when we get to that NCAA tournament and, and those FCS playoffs, how confident are you that not only the NCAA, but these teams can maybe navigate it and, and pull this off?
2: Well, yes. I mean, obviously... You don't want to have have an an outbreak, you know, in game week in the playoffs because there's just no turning back. I mean, they're, they're you know they're scheduled every week apart. You know you you know it, you're just gonna have to forfeit if it if it came to that. Um, I think overall the season has spring season has gone relatively well. I mean, you know there's been up to 19 or you know it it keeps growing the number on on postponements or cancellations. You know, I, I just think you always have to put the health and safety first. You realize, hey, if we don't play, if we don't win this game, the sun's going to come up the next day. There are bigger issues than, than, you know, getting out there and playing your game. You know, people have to, you know, pull back and, and understand that as well. But it's, yes, it, it, that would be really tough timing to have that happen in the playoffs, just as it is for, for teams in March Madness.
1: And, and we hear the committee, the complaints about the committee at the FBS level with the college football playoff. I, I imagine this year more than any to be on that FCS committee, it, it, it's got to be like pulling your hair out because not just the pauses, but uh, all the upsets, the you know shrinking field. How difficult is it for that committee to really kind of find and pick those best teams?
2: Well, I think it's, you know, in a way we saw with, with, with the college football playoff where, you know, Ohio State, you know, had such a smaller sample size than, than the other three schools in the playoff we're going to see that in a a month where the selection committee is and obviously the conference champions champions are determined uh so you know you have 10 spots there when they look at at large bids and and that's shrunk to just six this spring you know a 16 team overall field that's where you're evaluating in a school that may have you know eight games in if you go back to the fall or, or you know eight this spring even versus somebody who Maybe is 3-0 oh because they had some post, uh, you know, 3-1, and one, you know, they they had a smaller conference schedule or it's just going to be all different scenarios. You're going to have to do the best job you can as a committee member and, and really focus, I think, on strength of schedule. Uh, I do think a lot of the a lot of those six at large bids will go to the power conferences uh, on the FCS level, which right now are Missouri Valley, Big Sky, CAA. Southland's really come up strong, maybe the OVC or SOCON, but yes, I, I, you're just going to have all different kinds of resumes
0: and, and you're going to have different opinions out there. It seems like a lot of the frustration you're at at the FBS level was this uh, maybe an extra reliance on the eye test because you don't have as much, uh, you know, out of conference play to be able to judge how, how good a particular league might be. I would imagine there would be similar frustration this year at the FCS level where you don't have a lot of, of, um, you know, national data points. And so you're, yeah, that seems like a safe bet with the, if if there's a tie, you know, tie goes to the Missouri Valley team. I would, I would imagine the the brand name. No no
2: doubt. And and yes, I mean, obviously, you know, each school is going to be, you know, frustrated if they're, they're in a difficult spot where they're losing, you know, have games that are postponed or canceled versus a school that, that is playing more often, you know, you just can't avoid it. There's no, competitive equity this year and, yeah. and the conference commissioners we were talking about that last fall everybody you know everybody was just looking to get in as many games as possible knowing there'd be starts and stops you know you have to realize even within your conference you may play five games somebody else is playing six or seven you just can't help the, you know the scenarios because you're trying to keep everybody safe because if another school is staying safe they're trying to do the same thing for you and vice versa. So, yeah, you know, it's it's just a difficult year where you have to have patience and
0: realize there's no competitive equity. That that, that's, that seems like a good question, a good statement to get us out here on. Brian, did you have anything else that you wanted to add?
1: Well, I mean, we could, we've we always go about uh, another half hour on the amount of upsets that we've had the last couple of weeks because it has <laughs> been a wild FCS season. And I encourage everybody out there, it just just go and watch because it, I know it's NCAA tournament time, but if you have a chance, it seems like every game that I've been tuning into is coming down to the last few minutes and in a, a wild, crazy score.
2: It's true. And, and I mean, I'm, a few weeks ago, we had like 11 ranked teams uh, in the stats perform top 25 lose, you know, the next week, the top 10 were all nail biters. Uh, it, it's crazy how it's just gone to another level. And even the top 10 teams are, are just struggling to get by where, you know, they're looking like the rest of the field.
0: Um, Craig, real quick, where can our listeners and my readers find your work on the Internet over these coming weeks as somebody who follows this stuff very closely?
2: Sure. Uh, I write for uh, Stats Perform or or FCS.Football is our website. Uh, I also write for Athlon Sports. Um, you know, at Craig Haley on, on Twitter, you know, we, we have coverage all the time. So I, I do appreciate the, the chance to plug it. And, and I hope uh, hope everybody's tuned into to the FCS spring season. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, Matt, Brian, I appreciate you guys do great work. Thank you.
0: This podcast is the product of the Extra Points newsletter, something that you're probably familiar with if you've been listening this far into the podcast. If you love going for two, chances are you're gonna love all of Extra Points, which publishes four days a week, digging into all of the off the field forces that shape all of college athletics, from FCS football, FBS football, college basketball, college wrestling, college track, uh, FBS, all the way down to the NAIA, all of the nitty gritty that makes every athletic department tick uh, extra points that got you covered if you're not already a paid subscriber try doing this save yourself a little bit of money go to www.extrapointsmb.com slash go for two that's g-o-f-o-r number two that gets you 20 percent off a paid subscription um, that means you can get an annual subscription to extra points for under 60 bucks that's www.extrapointsmb.com slash go for two Also, if you are interested in potentially sponsoring uh, uh, further episodes of Go For Two or additional newsletters on Extra Points, drop us a line at sales at extrapointsmb.com. We can help you reach an audience of thousands of engaged, educated, affluent, and intellectually curious college sports fans and insiders at an affordable price. So I... That was an interesting conversation, and particularly when you're thinking back about why the hell we're doing this to begin with. You know, I, I think you and I we, we both pretty well understand the push at the FBS level for for almost everybody. Um, beyond the fact that I think you know ADs really do want to play because their their athletes really want to play. You you have to protect these enormous television contracts, even at the, some of the G five level, but at the FCS almost nobody is making literally any money from football and nobody is making significant money from football. I think the largest television deal might be 500 grand. So navigating doing this out of obligation, out of uh, you know wanting to just provide a good competitive experience to your athletes versus financial necessity, you know, that, 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 that's interesting. When I've had, when I've talked to ADs and I've talked to a couple of MCS coaches, it's, it's been a more complicated kind of cost analysis pattern than you might've expected.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And you look at, yeah, the North Dakota States and, and the JMUs of the world, they, they want, they're all in on, on football. So they, they want to play. They, they want to have that opportunity for their athletes, for their programs to really continue and, and keep growing, especially going into that uh, what is hopefully a fall 2021 season that is somewhat regular but honestly I, th- I think a lot of the people thought there, there would be more of an exposure than i think there has been the last couple of weeks um you know a lot of that's just it, it's a busy time uh, on a lot of these campuses we've talked about it before i mean just the amount of events that are going on you got the ncaa tournament right now that uh, is going to take away some of the attention as well but I, I think hopefully after that kind of subsides a little bit as we get into april and and maybe that fcs playoff Maybe there is more of a, t- uh, you know, branding opportunity for some of these teams that not only make the playoffs, but uh, kind of start to draw the eyeballs. We we're already seeing it with with uh, Jackson State uh, getting up bumped up to ESPNU. I would imagine that's going to start to happen a little bit more often as basketball kind of fades away from the big picture. And a lot of these networks maybe say, you know what, let's let's throw on that game because it's if nothing else, it's, it's g- a good three hour content block.
0: Yeah, I, I, I... I have to admit I was a little bit skeptical of that rationale uh, from a couple of months ago. I know that in the beginning, that was why a lot of G5 FBS programs were adamant about playing. And you look at the first couple of weeks of the FBS football season, there's no Big Ten. There's no Pac-12. The SEC was starting late. So, shoot, let's put the American and Conference USA up on on big-time linear networks. And then nobody watched. Like, the the ratings – and part of that is just because ratings were terrible for everything, across everything. Um, But it's not like they – you got an enormous uh, exposure boost with, with a few exceptions the, the coastal BYU game performed very well and a couple of American athletic games did near the end. So when I, I, I you know, saw some other columnists or some people, you know, suggesting maybe we should just do FCS in the spring. Look, you get this extra exposure. That's going to be that's going to be challenging. Um, you, you're right. Maybe that changes over over these next couple of weeks. But then, even if we get the FCS games on ESPNU or or on you know FS whatever or on some of these other linear networks, will people watch? It's 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 uh, it's interesting football. But then you also have to condition yourself to be watching football at this time of year. I don't know. And maybe it doesn't matter if they do or not.
1: Well, I, I think that has almost been ruled out. I, I know when they moved to the spring, they said, oh, this will be the trial run for maybe we move it permanently to FCS. So it kind of gets more of that spotlight. But I think that has uh, brought, been brought down to reality a little bit But between the ideas and, and the people that are kind of executing them. And I think there's kind of an understanding that this is a fall sport and, and it's going to return to being a fall sport moving forward. And, and hopefully that for a lot of these programs, they can get back to full, you know, really full stadiums that uh, they, they can have in, in the fall like the FBS counterparts and just get back to a sense of normalcy. Now, I think Craig kind of hit on it a little bit there. They're playing a lot of games and, and it's going to be fascinating to see how some of these schools manage that, just that workload on, on these athletes, because it, it's a lot. It's it's it, it might not, might not be playing that full sec type of grinder situation, but it's still a lot of, on these athletes on top of what they have to do going to school and all that. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see how a lot of these schools kind of navigate the fall coming off the spring schedule.
0: I've been thinking about that too, because if you get hit by a 275 pound guy, it doesn't matter whether that 270-pound guy right, is, is at a, a SWAC school or an SEC school. It's still going to hurt like hell. Like there's, Football is still a physically demanding sport no matter how you cut it. And it's interesting here because when we look at the FCS, not only are you looking at schools that are now playing the most games in the, the most compressed amount of time, they're doing it with, the, with smaller scholarship rosters. You, not only do you have your best-case scenario, you've got 62, 63, or whatever it is, scholarships but a lot of these FCS programs that are playing right now don't fully fund that number. You've got teams with 45 scholarship athletes. You have some with a little bit less. And so now you're looking at walk-ons, potentially lots of walk-ons playing significant time uh, over a, a compressed window. Maybe everyone starts hitting the wall come October. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know. But this this will be a very good test of your strength and conditioning program, your medical program, and how well you've evaluated and developed talent. For well, sure. well, keep in mind,
1: too, that a lot of these FCS schools are going to be playing those FBS programs on, on a regular schedule as well in the fall. So yeah. they're going to be playing, not only them in, in late August and early September, but also we, we know about the SEC body bag games in, in, in late November. Well, that that's going to happen. And when you're talking about the added stress of, of playing in the spring, playing almost a full fall schedule, and then you're going to end up playing one of those FBS teams, I I would have some concerns over the health and safety of some of these athletes. I know that's been a, a big talking point uh, around those that uh, had that NCAA logo uh, surrounding their their letterheads, but I, I think it's going to be an issue this fall, and, and it's going to be interesting to see, uh, again, how these schools navigate that, how they um, you know, really almost give their, their athletes a break, because they're going to need it this summer as well, and and the way the NCAA is kind of going about things, they're actually adding more to their, their plate in terms of having, uh, keeping those athletes on campus and, and allowing them to kind of stay within the program.
0: Yeah. Um, I, you know, long story short, maybe, maybe if you are planning some future bets, uh, maybe bet on the SEC teams to cover SEC SOCON weekend later, later this fall. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, I have to, you know, confess, I, I don't normally watch FCS football every single week, but. There are some pretty compelling storylines both on and off the field, uh, especially once March Madness um, concludes uh, later, later, later this month or, or in the beginning of April. Um, Brian, real quick, as, as we wrap up here, I, I know that, that both of our children are uh, trying to steal our attention here at the moment. Where can our listeners and my readers find more of you?
1: Well, the, the easiest place is, is on Twitter at Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. So uh, usually all, all my content, uh, wherever it uh, may be living on the Internet, uh, ends up going through there. And that's the best place to follow me for random musings on FCS football and starting this week, the NCAA tournament.
0: Um I'm excited for it. I, I, I have to admit, like I don't normally follow college basketball religiously. And now that I, it's no longer part of my job the same way I've watched less of it, which I think means that my uh, bracket will perform better. And maybe I can, I can enjoy this tournament um, in, in a, in a different way. Um, I of course can be found on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. You can find extra points at www.extrapointsmb.com. Um, I am deeply appreciative of all of the folks here who have left uh, such kind reviews on on apple and the other places where you can download podcasts those help other people find going for two i will read some of those Uh, one of the most recent ones here says that this is a different look to college sports i used to be a staff member in college athletic departments where money and revenue were often the talk of meetings what matt and brian are able to do here is take those important conversations uh put them into context better define the bigger picture in history uh i am weirdly addicted to this pod I want other people to be weirdly addicted to this pod too. Of all the things you can be weirdly addicted to, this might be the most healthy. It will, um, it, the, the side effects to going for two, minimal compared to other commercial uh, stimulants. Um, so thank you for the, those, those positive words, your listenership and everything. In the meantime, I'm Matt. That's Brian. We'll catch you next week.